Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Well, hello, and welcome back to Brave New Teaching, and welcome, friends, to another installment of our Unit Makeover series. Hi, Amanda. Yahoo! Hi everyone. Hi Marie. I'm so Yahoo! happy to talk about like this that. topic. You said Yahoo! <laughs> Yahoo! And it made oh. me very happy. Oh good. <laughs> Yahoo! I have that effect on people. It's mostly on me though. Now hiring. Okay. Yeah. Now. <laughs> now seeking speaking engagements, and I will begin with Yahoo! Yahoo! And then it's over. Uh, friends, if you have missed any of our former unit makeover episodes, what have we done them on, Amanda? We've done a great Gatsby unit unit makeover episode. We've done a- another Short one. Story. Short, Short story. Short story unit. with fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Didn't we talk about Just Mercy? We did Just Mercy, I believe. Yep. Yep. And that Rock ends on. our working memory. <laughs> Well, we keep them spread out because, right, like it's kind of fun to like have a series, but if we do them all in one, that would be a lot. That would be a lot for people. This is a lot. Well, I mean, we're going to do, yeah, we're going to do a mini PD today. Like many of our episodes are mini PDs, but this is like a legit mini curriculum overhaul PD type of thing. So yeah, we can't do them all in once because tis too much, you see. And we we are actually, believe it or not, as much as we talk, we're pretty good listeners. And so we listen to your emails, DMs, voicemails, the things that you tell us. And like over time, like we kind of look for patterns and mm-hmm. we use that to help us figure out, well, what needs to come next on the podcast? So this one is a long time coming. We've got a yeah. couple of rhetoric episodes out there. Some they're in kind of some unique places, but this one's going to be a pretty straightforward unit rhetorical analysis. Let's knock it out. Yeah. How do we teach rhetoric? How do we do it? Okay. You know what? Before we get to that, it's time to raise our turkey mugs. Oh, mine's too full. I can't pick it up. I have to like put my face down and slurp it first before oh, I can pick it up. raise my cheers. Germany mug. Okay. But turkey mug, cheers, and uh, cue the music. You're listening to Brave New Teaching, and we are so much more than a podcast. We give teachers the inspiration, support, and tools to challenge the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a former English teacher from Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm a teacher from Southern California. Join us at bravenewteaching.com to find out more about our courses, festivals, and get every episode's show notes. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. All right, friends. So the way that we look at most units, but especially when we're looking at a unit that is really heavy on rhetoric, is we've got basically two avenues that you can go. Those two avenues are a focus on text or a focus on skills. Uh, Caveat, we are always skill focused. We are always decentralizing the text here in Brave New Teaching and all of the things that we talk about. But there is a difference between 
a unit that is straight up text and maybe it's all nonfiction or maybe it's all short pieces or maybe it's all so that you're not looking at one central text with supplements while looking at skills versus basically the sun with all the planets around it. You've got a central text supplements and everything's getting at the same skills. Did that make any stinking sense? A little. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I tracked, but like I can track a lot of what you're saying. That's because you speak Marie. Yes. But does this make sense to Gen Pop? Yeah. So I I can give another version. So you hit who you hit. I'll hit the other half. So okay. Bam, bam. So, well, and I'll speak from my experience. So the first time I ever taught rhetorical analysis was when it was just kind of handed to me. This is not something that I learned in undergrad. This is not something that you write. Like this doesn't come with the instructional manual. You're just told, you're told to do a rhetoric unit. You're like, okay. So what I was thinking about with two different approaches, I think depending on your situation, you can either teach your unit kind of focused on whatever the text might be, right? So like, we're going to talk about Julius Caesar, maybe Othello, maybe the Crucible, texts that lend themselves well to rhetorical analysis. Yeah. And like, so the unit is more about like the characters and the story, and then you're pulling the skill from them versus you're teaching an RA unit where the priority is that students learn how to deconstruct an argument. Because yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The mistake, right? The mistake that I've made is trying to do both all at once. And then your unit is 12 weeks long. So I, I really think that it's important for you to know moving into your unit that the, you and your students will only have the bandwidth for so much. And that if you've listened to me, I rattle a lot about this on my Instagram all the time. Rhetorical analysis is one of the skill sets that's only introduced in high school. Kids mm-hmm. have probably been doing like a little bit of literary analysis. They've been doing a lot of these skills like building up to high school. But this is the first time for a lot of students to see RA. And it really should be spiraled from nine all the way through 12. Like you should not have to be the sole person responsible for teaching kids all of rhetorical analysis in one unit in 10th grade or whatever it is. So ideally students might have like an intro to RA unit in freshman year and then it goes away. Then Mm -hmm. sophomore year, they read Caesar and we're going to do Caesar with a rhetoric lens. Then we're going to do right. Then we're going to do speeches junior year with a, you know, more focus on the skills. And then senior year, we're going to do whatever. Like it would be nice. Wouldn't Wouldn't it? it? Well, yeah. I mean, and (laughs) like, (laughs) We just want to give you like the two different perspectives of different ways to do it. And then you can just hand this episode over to your supervisor and be like, yeah, done. listen to what they said. Well, yes. And as you're talking and, and we're going to go through each of these two, like we're going to yeah. start right now with what it looks like when it's centered in text, because I think that's something that speaks to the English teachers out there a little bit, it's more accessible for us, right? For our teacher brains to look at something that is centered in a central text. But then I'll explain when we get into the second part, like what Amanda's going to be talking about, which is like how to string the two together, (laughs) like how one begets the next. I'm not making a ton of sense today. So why don't you start us off? You use the word begets. I did. Well, we're we're talking about, you know, a lot of Shakespeare. I got to up my game. I may have heard begets. And then Ooh. I thought about the biscotti you were talking about. Ooh, and so now yeah. you're fully in my ADHD brain. <laughs> if any of you out there have access to a Trader Joe's and you have not yet tried 
their fall. Uh, it's I'm not normally a big walnut fan, not because I don't like them, but just because there's pecans and almonds in the world. So like, why would I go for walnuts when I could go the other way? Wow. But there is a maple for walnut episode, Marie. <laughs> Listen, there's a maple walnut biscotti at Trader Joe's right now. It's the little ones that is sustaining my life. Like it's that and my ugly turkey mug. And that's all I need to survive. It's so good. Uh, let's talk about rhetoric. <laughs> okay. Did we already see the music? Yes. We're yes. in, right? Okay. We're- yeah, we're in. <laughs> okay, let's get in. <laughs> let's get into it. Okay. <gasps> yes. Scenario one. You have the opportunity to teach this awesome unit, and it's going to be focused on a play or a story, but the skills are lending themselves beautifully to rhetoric. This is a wonderful scenario because learning rhetoric through the experience of characters is one of my favorite things to do. Even when we get to the other section, when you're kind of just like thrown rhetorical analysis and a bunch of speeches, even in that scenario, I inject fiction. Sure. Here's why fiction and stories are so great for rhetorical analysis. It's wonderful to see a very clear rhetorical triangle. When you're watching a play or reading a story, everything begins with the rhetorical triangle. Listen, it does not begin with ethos, pathos, logos. It begins with the rhetorical triangle. So when we're going to get into Caesar, the crucible, we're going to get into these wonderful argumentative stories and plays. We have a speaker. We have an audience, a recipient of the argument, and we have a message. And those things are kind of abstract in any other scenario. So it's really nice to be able to pair these together for students because they're not saying, um, okay, in this commercial for the Olympics, the audience is me. Like, no, it's absolutely Well, it's, I don't even know if they're abstract, but they're artificial. They're artificial. Right? So if we're looking at advertisements, which are fantastic, and we're looking at political speeches, which are also fantastic for analyzing rhetoric, there's a certain amount of disconnect there that like, how does this apply to my real life? I can't vote. I don't even have money to buy Snickers, like whatever it is. Students have a hard time connecting. And part of our job as their teachers is to help them connect with, you know, engage with the material by basically by any means necessary. So when you go into fiction, fiction, you can point out rhetoric in a more organic fashion and in a way that connects to their lives. And this is not something I knew ahead of time. This is something I like discovered along the way. Why are students connecting so much more to literally Pony Boy and Johnny trying to like convince each other to run away or to stay versus this Snickers commercial? Why are they understanding the rhetorical triangle through these like seemingly disconnected characters that are, you know, so far away from where these kids are. It's because it's friends and they have friendships and they're just not quite in the advertising world yet. But once they understand the base of it, then they can see where the advertising world infiltrates their lives. Right. Right. 100%. So if we talk, let's talk about Caesar for a little while, and then let's talk about crucible for a little while as some examples. So yes, if I was teaching Caesar, which I'm not currently. Um, no, but, but I, I just taught your unit, if anybody's been following along. So there we go. You did, which is like unnerving. It's like so like such a huge compliment, but it's also so weird. <laughs> like anyway, I mean, there are probably hundreds of teachers teaching my unit. And that's it's just, it's bizarre, but also yeah. amazing. Um, but the idea is, right? So like when you're preparing, right, for this unit, 
and you get to the point where you're overwhelmed, let's talk you off the ledge because that's that's right. the hardest part. So when I look at a, when I look at Caesar and rhetoric, I first start with close reads, right? So to me, there's like the the spine of this unit is pretty important. There's going to be your gateway, your close reads, and your summative, and yep. that is like the through line. And then I kind of will plan around that the rest of the stuff. So. Generally speaking, the EQ that I would use with this unit is what does it take to be a great leader? It's very approachable. Text is difficult. Question is pretty easy, right? We always want to have that balance. Well, Um, and I'm going to interrupt you for a second here because there's a reason that we're talking specifically about two plays because like Amanda was saying, rhetoric is in plays. Plays are succinct. They are meant to be played out in two hours roughly, right? Like it's two hour curtain to curtain situation, which means that an entire story arc has to happen there. Plays also have monologues and soliloquies, which are speeches. And that's where rhetoric is like so potent. And you can get the entire rhetorical triangle and situation in a singular monologue. And so that's why this works so well. Like I kind of felt like I had to fill in a little bit of the context there for a sec. So all you made up for all of your nonsense just there in that moment. It's the it's the masters in theater, you know. What can I say? I'm an artist, man. Okay, right. I hate myself. I love you. Go, <laughs> but you're no, but you're right. And when we talk about like our lesson planning, real estate, you hit the, that. That's the nail on the head right there. Yeah. Right? Well, I just kind of wanted to explain like why are we talking about these texts specifically? Because when you're looking at rhetoric and you're doing a unit makeover, honestly. The Marrow Thieves, which is what I'm teaching right now, not great for rhetoric. Like, that's not going to do it for you. Any old fiction, not going to do it for you. But when you find what works, plays are the thing, I'm telling you. They are amazing for argument. And, but you're like, oh my gosh, but I have to also teach Shakespeare. Like, take a breath. Okay. Yeah. Because what you have to remember, and the reason I say start with your close reads is because your close reads are where the majority of your deep conversation. And deep writing will come from. And so and your direct teaching, right? Your like your, your legit direct lesson teaching. You have your hand over those lessons. And when you choose your through line, right, you choose these moments that are going to be the quintessential, unforgettable, this is how it happens moments, you're going to see very quickly that so much depth will come out of those lessons that we can kind of get through the breadth using the film, using right all those other things that you don't have to worry about those. Worry mm-hmm. about the way that rhetoric works within each of these close reads because then you're hitting right the depth of the story but also the skills of rhetorical analysis. Yeah. Um, did you have a favorite close read from Caesar that is like a must, a must teach? So when my students started to really, re- well, the dogs of war. Oh. It's just one of my favorite speeches from Shakespeare, period, even though Caesar's not one of my favorite plays. I just don't – it's never done it for me personally. Oh, I want to, like, perform it, but I love teaching it. But I like teaching it for yeah. the close reads. It's the yeah. same reason that I like Othello. I don't like Othello as a play, yeah. but I like it for the Iago close reads. Ugh, um yeah. But the dogs of war speech is, well, that's, what's the, that's the one where you've got the progression, right? Like you've got, there's a tone shift and there's two close reads in one. That was where most of the clicking happened for those who hadn't yet clicked with understanding tone shifts, understanding a change in messaging, understanding a lot of different parts of where the triangle can shift And so therefore, so does the situation. Like we got a lot of places here 
But I have to have a spoiler alert, everybody, because we're going to talk about this in like our second act of today's episode. I did a lot of skill prep before diving into this one. Mm-hmm. I would not have been able to teach half as much as I did rhetorical analysis wise and doing Julius Caesar had I not prepped with skills ahead of time. So if you were going to just do something like this and it is a hard to approach text, you know, know what to expect. If I was to do this kind of a unit without doing any sort of rhetorical analysis prep ahead of time, I would do a text that is not Shakespeare. I would do a play that is very easy to approach, probably not even the crucible, which is another one that I like to use with rhetoric. I would find something that is contemporary, very obvious and easy to access. I can't think of anything on the top of my head right now, but just like, I just wanted to make sure that we mentioned that little piece. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not, it's not for the rhetorical analysis beginner for sure. Sure. Okay. So dogs of war for sure. I actually love doing the, let us be sacrificers and not butchers. That's yes. one of my favorite. Yes. Pitches. That was another, that was a crowd favorite. Well, it's, I dare say it's easy for them. It's easy because they're far enough into it that it's, it feels obvious, but they're just getting it. They're getting it. Well, which is right. That's the victory. Hooray. Hooray. Like yes. that's exactly, sorry for clapping into the mic guys, but that is, um, <laughs> I I'm like, but I'm like refeeling it all over again because I'm telling you, my friends, I taught this to the lowest track of English to students for 10 years years. And my students were amazing humans, but most of them did not have English as a first language and really didn't have the educational confidence to tackle Shakespeare, much less RA. And when I walked in there and I told them, this is what we're doing and you're going to be able to do this by the end, they were like, yeah, right. And by the end, they totally could. So I think it helps when you, number one, you've like planned out your close reads yep. and you're consistent. So that's kind of the the where I guess I'm trying to get in my long way of getting lost here is when you plan your close reads, you know what students are going to do. You can plan them so that they are, they look the same. You're consistently mm-hmm. asking them the same expectations. If you're wondering what that is for me, it can start as simple as I want you to fill out a graphic organizer of the rhetorical triangle. Mm-hmm. Who is speaking? Who is the audience? And what is the message? You stay there yes. until kids get it. Don't you dare ask them to analyze <laughs> anything else unless they recognize that. Well, and the that- close read is, how do you know? Point to the part yeah. of the text that tells you that, right? Like that's that's the, the next. The points. Yes. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. How do you know? And how did, what's the evidence to show, show us that you got there once you kind of, and like, and, and you can stop, like you could do a close read from act one and that's it. Perfect. Let's move on. Let's move on. And we kind of do more and more each time. That is to me, like the most important thing is to know that the triangle is more important than we give it credit for. Because what happens is in the writing, if we tell students, the first thing we want them to look for is stuff. That's the first thing they're going to write about. And then you're going to say, well, so what? They're going to be like, I don't know. You told me to look for stuff. And so stuff, <laughs> stuff being all of those lit terms, stuff being the ethos, term. pathos, logo, stuff being the strategies that are great. But if you don't know what the strategies are for and they're just saying they used a question, and you're like, yep, neat. <laughs> and we've all graded those papers. And then you go, oh, yes. 
So it is the why, right? The speaker audience message ends up being the so what, right? So I notice rhetorical questions. This is important because Brutus understands that his audience is on the edge, right? That they they emotionally feel this way, but they're unsure. So the way that he structures his questions is to create this logical connection, blah, blah, right. blah. Right, right, right. right, right. That's really hard for a kid to get to, but we can scaffold it by prioritizing the situation, right? Um, the rhetorical situation is a little bit bigger than speaker audience message, but that's a great place to start. Absolutely. Um, and that's what's so great about a play. So that's where I would be. And then by the end of the novel or by the end of the play, whatever it is that you're doing, I would ask students to do a timed close read on their own. Yep. That would be the only goal for the summative would be just that. And if we wanted to touch back to the essential question, maybe this would be a great situation to do like a pre-post seminar or a pre-post project of some sort. Um, but skill-wise with RA, take care of it with timed writing. Um, it's really the most, or, or process writing if you really want to, but I think timed writing is going to give you a much better gauge as to where kids uh, are. Of their understanding and their skill set. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Today's episode of Brave New Teaching is brought to you by Happy Hour, the exclusive members-only side of the Brave New Teaching podcast. Marie and I have been working on Happy Hour now for almost a full year. Happy Hour kicked off in January of 2023, so we are coming up on our one-year anniversary, and we could not be more proud of how the podcast has evolved. And if this is your first time hearing about happy hour, this is the quick pitch. It's an extra 15 minutes of the podcast per month, adding up to our full hour of happiness, fun times. And we are featuring, you know, the content over there is really geared toward giving you extra beyond what we're able to give you here on the main podcast. We offer things like guest interviews and guest like complete control guests take over the mic altogether. We offer all kinds of Q&A sessions. We offer just lively, crazy banter between the two of us and some really strategy-focused sessions as well. And what we wanted to share with you today was one listener question that we got from a happy hour teacher to give you an idea of the kind of content that's happening over in, in happy hour that we don't want you to miss out on. So I want you to hear this question that came in and we're going to answer this question in happy hour. And this is kind of a feel for what you're going to get. Hi there. I love your podcast. I am doing an inquiry-based curriculum this year with essential questions, and I love it so far. I'm doing a class novel and then supplementary texts, TED Talks, podcasts, poems, short stories, the problem is, is that I'm so excited about using supplemental texts that I'm having a hard time with pacing. I'm trying to balance discussing and working with the whole class novel and then also bringing in all of these supplemental texts without losing momentum and losing the basic reading comprehension of the core novel. I know both of you have a lot of experience using supplemental texts, and I'm really curious how, you know, a week works or how you space out or pace these supplemental texts. Are students reading the novel at home and doing supplemental texts in class? Um, how does the magic work? Because I feel like we're losing momentum with the core text and getting more into the supplemental text. Thanks for any help or suggestions you can provide. 
Isn't that a great question? And I know so many of you struggle with pacing and struggle with wrapping your head around the whole the whole big picture of what inquiry-based learning looks like. And so with a question like this, we would dedicate an entire episode to answering that question for not only this listener, but for anybody else who's in happy hour. And we like to provide as much as we can in terms of support in that vein, so that teachers can feel confident moving forward with their curriculum planning and really just kind of sailing, right? Sailing through the school year, feeling that confidence and feeling like, okay, Amanda and Marie got my back. I can make these decisions. I can back them up and I can feel really good about what my students are doing in class. We are not all business over there for sure, but we love getting questions like this and we answer them at least once a month. And then who knows? The rest of the month is kind of up in the air and kind of crazy. And we just love having you over there. It's like it's like that extra chat when you're walking out of school into the parking lot. We're that person that you definitely would get in trouble sitting next to during a PD. So we're happy to be that person for you. And we would love for you to join us over in happy hour. So head to the show notes today to sign up and become a happy hour member. We are going to send you one new resource every single month that you are a member of happy hour. The resource will be tied to some of the episodes that we share that month. And you have access to that resource forever. You also have access to every single episode that has ever aired the podcast. Once you're in the membership, you have access to all of the episodes, not all of the resources. You get the resources from the month you start moving forward, but you have all of the episodes at your fingertips and you can start to purge right now. We are going to have 52 episodes by the end of the calendar year. So you've got a lot to catch up on. So come join us over in happy hour. And I know that you're going to love it. Thanks so much for the phone call to our listener friend. And we can't wait to talk to you more in happy hour. Now back to the show. All right, friends, we alluded to it in the first part of this episode, and now we want to talk about the other way that we envision teaching a unit with rhetoric in this, you know, unit makeover situation, and that is wholly on skills. Like, the texts don't really matter because the skills are where it's at. That is your primary focus. Skill, 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 skill. Amanda, what are your best tips for teaching a skill-based unit? Um, I'm mostly picturing the teachers who are I've coached and who have said, I've been given this list of random things to teach and I have to teach rhetorical analysis. So number one, if you can try to come up with an essential question, because it's going to feel very disjointed. This is the same thing we talked about with short stories. Like Mm -hmm. when you're given the list of random short stories and they're only together because they're short stories, you're given the list of speeches and they're only together because they're speeches it's going to be great for like the first two. And then there's going to be another speech and another speech. <laughs> and, and there's speech. no connection piece. Yeah. And then it feels very repetitive and kids are like, Rrr. and they're running out of things to talk about. Yeah. If you can anchor it. So a couple of like quick, quick examples, right? What is the difference between speaking loudly and being heard? What does it take for an idea to move people to action? Which is the more powerful motivator, fear or love? So they're and- pretty like, yeah, go ahead. Those are perfect because they have everything to like they they're applicable to every single one and there's that's the thread, right? What's the motivator? Boom, go through it all. And you can you can connect just about anything <laughs> to that. 
Well, and then, and then like, right. It, it all of a sudden your unit takes a little bit more shape, um, right. right. You're not just, it's not, you're not just stringing along a bunch of random crap together. It's okay. So this one was very motivational on terms of right fear, or this was a really beautiful speech, but after this speech, we know that nothing happened, nothing changed. So something was missing, right? Nothing actually moved people to change. So like you can be tracking or keeping, you know, keeping a running tab on, the big picture, which yeah. is what kids engage with and care about. If you can do that, that would be great. If not, you can also just trudge through and it's fine. Um, so the second thing I would recommend is using a tool. I personally really like Space Cat. I know people really like Soapstone. They like other yep. things. The Like I talk about poetry too, like having your tool Number one, it makes your lesson planning so much easier because the goal is to use the tool every time and to use it consistently because mm-hmm. what's going to happen is that kids are going to get better at using it and that you can keep asking for more and more depth every time you use it. So, And, and, and you don't have to put all of your weight behind it every time. You don't have to teach them a new thing and push a skill on them and have them practice, blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, here we go again. And it just creates routine it creates familiarity it's wonderful and it it makes them better writers better yeah. observers better yeah. analysts over time because they're practicing think of this as like your sport right you're not gonna right? coach soccer and be like oh well today we're gonna play volleyball to kind of mix things up like no you're not <laughs> like, i mean i don't might. do that <laughs> i used to do that all the time like don't mix it up but if, you, if you've never heard of Space Cat, like you're new to the podcast or you're new to teaching RA, you just came here because you saw this link. Space Cat stands for, right? Space and cat are separated. Space is S for speaker, P, purpose, A, audience, C, context, E, exigence. That list of five does come from an AP Lang lens, especially that word exigence. It's not that important for anyone really, but the difference between context and exigence is very subtle. Context is right. Like what's happening around the moment of the speech and the exigence is more about like the immediacy or the urgency of that message being shared in that moment. So Reagan's challenger speech, right? Like Mm -hmm. he gives that speech just after the explosion and the urgency of his message is tied into the fact that so many people have just witnessed this tragedy on TV, including families, children, the families of the uh, people who were lost. Like there's a immediacy, like this message is very urgent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what it is, like the, the proximity to a tragedy. I always so. explain context versus exigence. Context is how did we get here? And exigence is why now? Yeah, why now? Yeah. Why now? And it's still harder than, I mean, that's. No, it's exactly. That's, that's how we start. Yes. yes. Um, and then cat is what choices approaches mm-hmm. tag Appeal. uh, appeals tone tone yep this and is so, why i look at the normally at the thing well it's fine so like so choices is an umbrella for all of the things right metaphor rhetorical questions parallelism you name it it's all of the things falls under c a is ethos pathos logos t is tone so like literally cat could be two weeks worth of lesson plans where you only look at choices. You only look at appeals. You only look at tone. Then you start to blend them, right? Because nobody is doing these in isolation. So for me, the progression of this tiny little unit in our tiny little moment of time we have here on the podcast would be start with space, establish the rhetorical situation. This is the triangle and then some 
but this is this is basically the triangle. What's the situation that we're in? Right. Mm-hmm. This is the, the challenger has just exploded midair on live TV. People are freaking out. Right. Like, what is the situation? What what decade are we in? Who is president? Who what whatever? Right. They need to know that because once we're ready to move into cat and we've identified right an empathetic tone. Well, why did Reagan need to use an empathetic tone? Why didn't he say it's fine? We're moving forward. Let's yeah. go. Hurry up. Suck like, it up. Yeah. That would have been very insensitive. So like that's they once kids know the situation, they can start analyzing the components and the whys. So Space Cat for me is not only an anchor for analyzing individual speeches, but it's a great outline for your unit and you can spend as long as you want in space, as long as you want in cat and then as long as you can with the hybrid, like bringing it all together yeah. is then the ultimate goal. So a little bit context, so to speak, I would think of this as like a boot camp style. Like that's what I would yeah, call the unit, a mini it. unit, a boot camp. I would make it two weeks, week and a half, two weeks. Again, quarter system, 90 minute class periods, five days a week. So like translate that to whatever it means for you and for your situation. I would start here. In fact, I do. So junior year, American Lit. I start here. We start uh, We start on a Wednesday. So I've got about a week and a half, maybe some change, probably two weeks of teaching these skills. And we are looking at like founding American documents, all sorts of different things. And that's like my mini intro to what is America's story unit. Then it moves into Julius Caesar. What makes a great leader? Then it moves into, this is all the first quarter. Then it moves into the crucible. So I do two plays that we've been talking about in this episode in that first quarter. And it's all about rhetorical analysis and putting it all into different perspectives. And we can see it in different ways. I don't have it completely smoothed out yet, but I can definitely tell you that when we jump into Gatsby in the second quarter and we start looking at some of the things that people say, my students are going to be able to understand and analyze the like Tom Buchanan's character a little bit better because they're going to understand where the speaker is coming from. They're going to understand the message that that speaker is making and they're going to understand the audience to which he thinks he's speaking or to whom he thinks he's speaking. Right. So, so like now that we've got those skills, we can bake them into some different stuff that we're doing. And I spent a whole quarter on it, but that's like the, the trajectory of RA, at least an example. Yeah. I love it. So that, there you go. That's your unit plan. I mean, Marie and I have got so many other things out in the interwebs about RA, but I would say that's that's your unit. And I don't know. I hope that's enough to get started. Absolutely. Let us know, though. Let us know the questions. Let us know if this is something you would want to see, like a training. We could do a live training. We could do a workshop-style thing on planning an RA armor. unit. We could do a happy... Yeah. Let us know what you want, because we just kind of went with, like the biggest trends, which were like rhetoric, rhetoric, rhetoric. So now that we've talked a little bit more about it, give us some more specifics. Yeah. Friends, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you. We appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, if you have a moment to leave us a rating and review on iTunes, that would be or on Apple Podcasts, that would be extremely helpful because it uh, just kind of like gets us into other people's feeds and helps other teachers and educators find us and join our community yeah. Well, and if you love, if you really love teaching Shakespeare, but you're a little bit hesitant and you've never checked out any of our Shakespeare festivals workshops, we have two 
in-depth trainings on teaching Shakespeare. Self-paced. Uh, yes. Virtual yeah, self-paced. self-paced. Yeah. We, we do hit a little bit on rhetoric in those, but Shakespeare in general, we have a lot of stuff that we'll, we'll link all of that in the show notes today. Absolutely. All right, friends. We hope you have a wonderful week at school and we will see you next time. Thanks again for listening to Brave New Teaching. We'd love to keep the conversation going over on Instagram. And while you're there, check out the links in our bio for the most up-to-date events going on in the Brave New Teaching community. Thanks for being here and have a great week at school. 